Well, hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director. And this podcast is a companion to my practice where I reach out to people who I respect from a distance or maybe friends because I know that the work they do is meaningful and inspiring and and offers a lot of guidance and wisdom to others. Uh, Because the questions I want to ask them are, what does it look like for you to partner with God in the work that you're doing as a leader, as a writer, um, just as a family member? Uh, How do you care for your own soul? How do you stay connected with the divine for the work that you do? Uh, So I really enjoy these conversations, and I hope you do as well. My guest today is Marilyn Vansel. And I was first introduced to Marilyn Vansel through her writing. She was recommended to be both by my own spiritual director and in the spiritual uh, direction training that I did because she has a fantastic idea of authentic self and adapted self. That's how I first learned about her, which is her language for true self and false self. And it really helped bring those ideas home to me. So I knew that after reading her book about that, I wanted to have her on the podcast, and thankfully she responded and said yes, and so we'll have a great conversation about her work as a spiritual director, as well as some of her own um, writings, and, and especially that idea of authentic self and adapted self, and some of her explorations of the Enneagram. So, looking forward to sharing that with you. In the meantime... Uh, depending on when you might be listening to this, I have new spiritual formation cohorts launching this fall. Practicing Examine cohort is going to be meeting again, and I already have a handful of people signed up for that, but I do still have some space and not quite enough to do it yet. So I'd love to have you reach out if you're interested in that and gathering interest for the Practicing Sabbath cohort as well. I have also made plans for this fall to do a book club, and it's just going to be a one-time meeting talking through the book Sacred Fire by Ronald Rollheiser. This is one of the books I recommend more often than just about any other book these days, and I find that not many people have read it. Some are kind of familiar with it, but I think there is so much to glean from this book in whatever stage of life you are in. So all of that, the book club, the cohorts, all of that is available on my website. You can go to Cord- <laughs> you can go to consortioday.com and click on the cohorts tab and find all of those there. Or if you want the easy way, just type in formationcohorts.com and it'll take you directly to that page. Thanks so much for listening. I always appreciate those of you who have been sharing the podcast or, or telling others about the spiritual direction work that I do. Uh, also appreciate iTunes reviews or any other way you can help spread the word about what's going on here. So thanks again. And here's a great conversation with Marilyn Vansel. So Marilyn, yeah. it's a pleasure to sit with you today, even, even digitally. Thank but, you, uh, John. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you just for starters, just tell us about what I like to call your sacred work. What is, what is the work that you mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that terminology too, John, because it is sacred. So I am a spiritual director, Mm -hmm. and I offer that out of my home, not as part of any other organization. And um, it certainly is sacred work to to listen to people, to witness them experiencing God, inviting them to experience God, ask questions. And that is really... um, very life-giving for me yeah. and and hopefully them. Pointing, helping people listen to God is probably the thing I love the most. Yeah. I also have written the two books that you you know talked about my um, 
self to lose, self to find Enneagram book mm-hmm. and then be on the Enneagram. And so I also, that was sacred work to write sure. both of those for sure. And a lot of work. And then I, out of that has come opportunities to speak or to share. And so kind of whoever comes my way is I see them as a divine appointment, a divine invitation to engage with them and with God together. Yeah. Uh, How long have you done spiritual direction? I officially certified with a group in Canada in 2016. Okay. Which is when my first book came out as a self-published book. And then that just escalated. You know, the my book and books has escalated my contact with people. So it really yeah. sped up after that. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, – you are among the more seasoned people in life that I've had on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so – I'm very, uh, I would love to hear a little bit of your journey about, sure. you know, in the season of life that you found, I I don't know what you did prior to this, right? So right. I'm curious, yeah. like, is this the stream that you were already in and then you found, finally found a way to be more public with mm. it? Or was this like a journey of discovery that led you to offering spiritual direction? It was definitely a journey of discovery. Mm. And so... Um, my husband was on the Young Life staff for 30 years, oh, yeah, and okay. so we were very involved with that ministry as a family, and we have four children, and I was a, my first career was a stay-at-home mom, yeah. which I wouldn't ever choose any differently than that, even mm-hmm. looking back. So that took up a lot of, that was my life, Young Life and my family um, yeah, really yeah. was our focus. And then I was invited to participate in the Ignatian exercises in, yeah. in probably the early 2000s. And, whoa, something woke up in me that I realized had been asleep for a long time. And that's mm. the contemplative side of me that yeah. didn't find support or expression in the Young Life Evangelical, um, just the right. that world as much, not that it was discounted, but it just wasn't something I had been nurtured in. And so it just woke up this whole side of me and I really started pursuing that and, you know, God opened up different doors and I just recognized that my heart was yearning for a more centered, more contemplative life with God and in that season of my life too. So I think there is something about the seasons that matter like you said, you're, yeah, you know, yeah. when you turn 50, there's something that, that second half of life, um, right. I really felt that. And so I, I pursued and it was a journey of discovery. It was part of it, you know, really questioning what did I believe and who is God and how is God with me? And when the kids left and I had, you know, that I was, I was, didn't have that job anymore as a stay-at-home mom. And then my husband left Young Life. And so both of those props were gone. And I had to really rediscover who I am and who God is with me. And I am with God. So, yeah. How did you first um, respond to the invitation to do the spiritual exercises coming from the stream of Christianity that you were part of? Oh, I was, uh, you know, it was recommended by someone that I trusted and I listened to their experience and I could, uh, I was just, you know, salivating (laughs) inside. And then when I went to the first introduction meeting, I was 
when they were talking about doing an hour of prayer a day and it could be gardening, it could be on a walk. I was like, what? (laughs) That's possible. And so I really leaned into it and would every, it was a nine month period and we met once a month for a presentation and I just cry through the whole thing because (laughs) there was something that woke up in me that I really treasured and wanted more of. So. And and were even the practices within it, like imaginative prayer and the examine, were those new to you at the time as well? Well, they were somewhat new, but certainly I fell right into that. I wasn't yeah. like questioning them. I fell right into it. I was eager. Yeah, I was ready for that. Well, so. I, I mean, I, I, just, I appreciate this pliability in life that you're mm-hmm. naming because – you know, around the time I turned 40, I remember writing a blog post. I, I blogged a lot more back in those days. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember writing a blog post about how it seemed to me that most people who were, you know, further along in life were either becoming more rigid and more mm-hmm. set um, mm-hmm. and, and didn't want to engage with things that would alter their entrenched status quo. (laughs) And I'm talking, you know, that could be around politics, that could be around just general lifestyle, that could certainly be around faith. Or on the other hand, there were people who I just felt like just continued to hold a posture of generosity and learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I felt like there wasn't much in between. And so I made the decision then, um, or I made the statement then, (laughs) (laughs) that I want, you know, I want to go the pliable, generous route. But here I am now 12 years later and realizing that, that's hard. That, there's effort to not just settle into what's comfortable and stick with status right. quo and, and to continue yeah. to be generous in your perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering what that has looked like mm-hmm. for you to maintain, because mm-hmm. clearly to me from where I sit, <laughs> reading your books and even talking with you today, you know, there is a there is a sense of continued learning and generosity and openness that, mm-hmm. you know, I hope to continue to have. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious, has that been intentional? Intentional? Is there effort behind that for you? Well, my personality is pretty flexible and pliable mm-hmm. yeah. um, and open. And I think I was so discouraged really. And when I, if I was honest, I was discouraged yeah. about my faith walk with God because I knew something was missing. Yeah. And there was something I was longing for and didn't didn't know what it was, couldn't put words on it and it, onto that. And, you know, it's messy when you're open and generous. You can't just write out a mission statement or a theological position and it's right. static. And so it can be messy. And how do you communicate with yeah. people what where you are? It's so it's a, I find that more tricky than being open myself, but just being feeling like I'm sort of nebulous in other people's mind because there's some things you just can't communicate put put to words in your relationship yeah. with God. So yeah. it's not as uh, tightened tightened down and understood. It's so. as if you fully embrace the centering set, which I know you talk about in your newer books. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Uh-huh. So those are my little detour questions. I always have little detour questions. Oh, no when problem. I, when, I, when I preached, I always had detour things that weren't in my notes that I said that sometimes worked well and sometimes not. And now when I do interviews, 
I have detours that I hope most of the time work well. <laughs> but that being the case, so you know, we've talked about your sacred work, and this seems like such a straightforward uh, question to ask, but. I just find that the nuance of people's answers is really helpful, you know, mm. in the work that you do as a spiritual director and as a, as a writer, as a retreat leader, what does it look like for you to partner with God mm. in that work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question because it, well, if I'm not partnering with God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. And I think that doing spiritual direction has particularly led me to a deeper understanding of that because mm -hmm. when someone calls me, I don't know what's going on for that. I have no idea where this is going to go. Yeah. And, but all I could say is, God, do you know this person? You know what they need today. You, I don't know. I, there's no, I can't script it. There's no script here. <laughs> Um, and so depending on the Holy Spirit in those times, it's, it, it just is all I could do. I mean, I'm des almost like a des desperate, like, here I am, God, okay, you take, you let's go from here. And I do sense a, um, let's go together. We're doing this together. Um, and one of the images that I have or practice the postures I take and I, I gained this from meeting with my supervisor one time and I was just really agonizing over a certain person and how to help them. And so this, I had this vision and I, I like pictures and I work well with pictures that God gives me of me holding my hands, holding that person, but that God was behind me and had his arms around under my hands. And I had to lean back into God's presence and strength, but, but that we're, both of our hands were holding this person. So it's not one mm. or the other, yeah. it's us together. And I often just do that before some, one of my sessions starts is I'll just take that posture and think of that person and trust God is holding me and holding them. Yeah. And, and it, I'm sure you experienced this too, John is it's amazing what happens in a session when you pause and just listen to God and what God gives a person. I mean, there's no way I could have dreamt up or thought of, or yeah, even suggested yeah. what it is that they heard or saw or sensed. And you just know it's the Holy spirit. And there's, yeah. you know, it's really a sacred, as you said, sacred work to be in that position. Yeah. And is, is that, so do you feel like that comes pretty easy for you personality wise? You talked about your flexible, I think it does. I think I have yeah. a sense of intuitive intu intuitiveness and flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, so I've learned not to work too hard at it, but yeah. to just be in a posture of openness. And, and I, I am a good listener. And I hear things and I take great notes. Most of mine are on the phone, not Zoom. And so I can take great notes. And I really, mm. you know, it helps me like, Oh, she said this word. Let's go back to that. You mentioned, you know, you mentioned this. Can we say yeah. more about that? So I, I just pick up on things. And so I do think it comes pretty naturally yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that being the case, like, because so much of your work revolves around just being attentive and being attuned to what God is doing in a moment, mm -hmm. what do your own rhythms look like to, cultivate that, uh, that attunement 
for myself. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's an important question. And it's changed over time, as we've kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. And I am not a rhythmic person. And our lives, my Jeff and I've been married almost 51 years, and okay. we've never had a scheduled life, a static, you know, a certain kind of rigid scheduled life. And so young life. <laughs> yeah. And just the nature of both of our personalities, we don't need that. And so it's hard to be super scheduled. And some people are so rhythmic and they need that. And I don't. And so my my uh, rendezvous with God, as James Finley puts it um, on this podcast I've been listening to, my rendezvous with God has changed over time. Yeah. But I would say the essence, the underlying essence of it is the statement that changed my life, actually, from Robert Mulholland's book, The Purpose of the Christian Life is a Loving Union with God in Our Deepest Self. And so I just mm-hmm. will go to, okay, God, we are in loving union. You are within me. I am with you. We are together. I mean, just affirming that to myself. Yeah. And then that uh, also, as I wrote in my second book, Beyond the Enneagram, about where's your attention turned and just turning my attention toward God, knowing that God is drawing me and has something for me. Mm-hmm. And then that sets my heart and my soul in the right place for whatever it is practice that day um, yeah. or the season that I'm doing. Right now I'm listening to Lectio 365 every day yeah, and yeah. You know, that that's a good practice. And I haven't done much of the examine, but now I'm learning the value of that. So I will listen to that at night. And boy, it really is a good thing. It's a good practice instead of just reading some dumb novel while I try to go to sleep, you know. <laughs> but to, well, to listen to that. Before I go to sleep, well, so. I, well, I do too. <laughs> I, I include that, but I also am adding that. Um, yeah that examined piece, that end of the day piece. And it really is settling. So I realized the value of it again. I'm curious, you know, when you talk about seasons of practices, like, I mean, I I find a lot of resonance with that and certainly have been through seasons of life where there were practices I did because that's what I'd been taught or that's what I thought I was Mm -hmm. supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finding, you know, seasons where actually, no, this, this is a different practice. It's much more life-giving to me or it's worn thin, you know, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how do you determine when it's time to let go of a practice and move mm-hmm. on to another? Cause sometimes you, you've been doing a practice a while and you feel some resistance to it. And there's mm-hmm. a need to kind of push through that because it's actually mm-hmm. touching something that you need to engage, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just empty and dry for you. So what mm-hmm. does that look like for you? Well, you kind of, you know, it's kind of paying attention to those in that being attentive to your, my own soul and Mm -hmm. my resistance and asking the question, you know, why am I resisting this? Is it like you said, because I don't want to go there or it's just time to move on. I, I felt that way with centering prayer Mm -hmm. because I did centering prayer for quite a while. Yeah. Probably not every day, but more regularly and then it just got to be where I just, it, it, and I know centering prayer isn't meant to always be something inspiring at that moment. Yeah. It's just yeah. a good practice of quieting. And I still do that part of, mm-hmm. I love to just be still and be quiet, but it's not as kind of timed and rigid with the word, you know, coming back. 
Um, and I just felt like there was, I morphed into a different form of that than the yeah. kind of standard um, John Keating or Thomas Keating centering yeah, prayer, yeah. prayer. I form. think Thomas Keating would be okay with that. I think he would. I <laughs> he think seems he pretty would. generous. In yeah, the Bible. yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, the I mean that's, that's is, yeah. Centering prayer is a practice I'm um, leaning into a lot right now, and finding a little resistance, but have determined it's not time to move on yet. Mm-hmm. But you know, I do wrestle with that from time to time. Is this mm-hmm. is it time to move on, or is this is this where to continue? But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm finding mm-hmm. a lot of hope and, and life in it, even in the midst of that resistance. So mm-hmm. It feels like a good mm-hmm. yeah. To it's important. I know so many people give up on that too soon because they don't. They sit there, you know, and their mind's racing and, and it's hard, it's hard work to do the centering prayer practice because there's so much invasion into our thoughts. But, um, it's also just, even if for a few moments, it's, you're still, there's a lot of value in that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious when you talk about centering prayer and examine and, uh, Lectio and, and just some of the different practices you've had. Where did you learn them? How, how did you come to, mm. to be introduced to all of those? Yeah. Um, well, after I did the Ignatian exercises, that was the mm-hmm. first time I had a spiritual director. And so that was my introduction there. Yeah, then okay. I became connected with, out of God's lovely design of pushing me forward and connecting me with people, a, a group in the Seattle area called SELA. And I took their living from the heart course. And over that course of nine, 10 months that we, they introduced all of those different practices um, more in a structured way Um, and in a experiential way, like inviting us to do that. Um, And then, yeah, I think just different exposure. And I would say, you know, I love Lectio Divina and I, Oh, that was the other thing I was invited. That was a big one is I was invited at University of Presbyterian Church to participate as a leader for a listening prayer group. And, uh, um, and so I trained as a leader with the gal and then for about a year and a half on how to do listening prayer or Lectio Divina in a group. And that probably is one of the most influential things that I did because I, and now I'm still part of a listening group that we meet once a month and we go through Lectio together and listen to one another. And I learned, I would say I learned a lot about listening and paying attention and mirroring back and from that actual training and that experience. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So sp- and and you might think, oh my goodness, we're going to wrap up because this is one of the last questions he sent me. But I have no intentions no. of being about to wrap up. But <laughs> because you just talked about learning to listen well, I'm curious, how do you know when you aren't doing well? Uh, yeah, that's uh, such an important thing to listen to, my, to myself when I'm in a bad space. I get really irritable with small things that don't matter, especially yeah. with the people that I'm around. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and regularly I, I do a lot of arguing and um, conversations in my head with people <laughs> you know like trying not to actually with people but in your head yeah in my head yeah. like yeah. because I don't you know I don't like conflict but I I, I live with I have internal conflict yeah. with 
you know, I'm arguing and, oh, I want to say this to them or, blah, 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 you know, and I, I become obsessed. I can tell myself I'm in a gerbil wheel of obsession and spending way too much energy, way too much attention on things that partly that I can't change or that don't really matter but justifying myself. So that would be one. And then I just get really apathetic about doing the important things in life and just kind of feel entitled um, to, Oh, I can, you know, I can treat myself to this or that, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it's a sense of entitlement or feeling sorry for myself or, you know, um, I just get in a bad space that way. And the way it feels is almost like depression. Mm, uh, it just, yeah. I can tell that I'm just, ugh, I'm dragging, I'm tired, I'm unenthused, yeah. and my body doesn't sleep well. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of clues that I have to pay attention to. Yeah. About so, what is it, so what does it look like to move out of those spaces for you? Oh, well, part of it is saying, okay, what's going on, you know, and recognizing, naming it, you know, um, just being observant. As in my first book, I talked about a practice of own up, you know, it's observing that and saying, wow, I'm really irritable um, or, you know, whatever it is I'm noticing. But to then welcome it, I think this is a big thing that is important rather than saying, oh, God, forgive me and please make this go away but to welcome it and say, okay, there's something here for me to learn and pay attention to. So I'm going to welcome this anger. I'm going to welcome this apathy. I'm going to welcome <clears throat> and God show me what, it, what is behind and I welcome God into it rather than pushing it off to God who wants to part back to partnering with God. Like God, we're partners in this. So teach me and show me and then to name, you know, what's going on and to, a form of confession and letting things go and then allowing God to fill that space that I let go of or created by letting go and naming. So it really is paying attention and a willingness to say, yeah. I'm not in a good space. Um, right. and, and that's, Lord, that's a hard me. step. That's it a is hard a hard step. step. Especially when that's somebody the biggest step. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's no, it can be noticeable. And so, you know, just the other day I had this flashback of a really painful memory and it mm-hmm. took me into a place of just sadness. And so then I just really just sat with it and let God work like, okay. And Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want mm-hmm. to say to me about this? And, and forgiveness and just, it brought up a lot. But it was really a healing process and then allowing Mm. God to speak to me and um, give me a sense of perspective on that and uh, and to be to feel some healing. So that was important. When you say a flashback from a painful memory, do you mean from recent memory or from years and years ago? Years ago. And it wasn't it just came out of the blue because we were Mm. driving somewhere and there was this, you know, and it wasn't a painful, like big traumatic thing. It was just an early ministry kind of thing. And it just flooded me with memory and Mm -hmm. a sense. 
because it just kind of triggered, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't, a, but it was a long time ago. And I realized, yeah. wow, that was still sitting there somewhere. I, I, the, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I feel like one of the journeys in the second half of life is acknowledging how much you're still carrying things from the first half of life. Oh, um, yes. and I feel like part of the work that I'm going to have to do in the coming years is actually to integrate regrets mm. and disappointments and hurts that have, that have just shaped who I am. And the mm -hmm. only way to continue to grow is actually mm -hmm. to name and acknowledge how those have shaped me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. why I keyed in on that when you made that statement. I'm like, that sounds like some of the stuff I've been trying to do. Right. With so, and to pay yeah. attention, to let that, you know, to pay attention to that when they come mm. or to question, why am I so triggered by this situation that does is the current situation? Yeah. Why is this bugging me? And then to go, well, is this tied back to something that is a, is residual? And has in my neuro pathways of my brain that this feels fam feels familiar, and so what yeah. is it? And yeah. it, you know, that's a lot of work. But God yeah. is the restorer, and I, yeah. you know, truly believe that God wants to heal all of that to set us free. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I reached out to you because of your first book, hmm. you know, that I told you I really appreciated, and there's a little Thank bit you. of backstory to that. And I, but I'd love to have you talk about this a little bit, but okay. um, I, I was always fascinated by the idea of true self and false self when mm. going through some of my own spiritual direction training, I'd heard the terms before, but they were just kind of out there ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I remember, I remember I invited a friend to preach at our church at probably 10 years ago at this point. And he talked a lot about true self and false self. And I'm like, this feels, this feels really important and really good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do with it. Um, and so all that to say, those felt like important ideas that I wanted to understand more, not just on a head level, but ultimately on a heart level, but I didn't even feel like I understood on a head level. And mm -hmm. this year, you know, I told my spiritual director early in the year, one of my goals for this year is to kind of understand not just the concept of true self, but what my true self is. And then mm. he suggested, well, he didn't, what he said was, maybe you want to use the terminology authentic self and adapted self mm. um, and, and pointed me toward your book. And I found that language to be so helpful, you know, and I see you do carry it, you know, into your second book as well, but I found that to be, so helpful. So I'd love if you could just talk a little bit about your own journey mm. of coming to an understanding of your authentic self and your adaptive. Mm. I, I say you talk about it a little bit in your second book. It's 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 key to your second book as well with the <laughs> right. with the with drawing. The drawing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, John. That has been the comment I have heard the most about my mm. first book is yeah. appreciating the language because I, like you, was going true self, false self. You know, I hear that from all these different writers and reader, you know, I get that, but it felt true to me that my false self felt true <laughs> and not just an illusion. Yeah. And so I, I don't know how I came up with and the Holy Spirit just led me to those that terminology of adapted self. But I have heard that probably more than any other comments about my book, that people yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. And it just 
feels more doable to address and to look at and recognize and receive and say, oh, I adapted to my home environment because da 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 da. And I adapted by being the peaceful child or it, it has more human, I don't know, human development part of it. So I still, you know, will um, refer back to, you know, and ask, is this part of my adapted self? Um, and what is my authentic self? And they're not that clear cut. It's not like right. one and then the other. Right. But how much of this is my ego, my adapted, my self-protection, um, or just habitual ways of thinking that I'm supposed to be? And do I want to be that way? Is that, is that truly my authentic self? Like as an Enneagram 9, I can be really easygoing and adaptable. And I like that about myself. I like being that way, but I can also do that on a default to avoid conflict, to not get it. it, There's a backside to that. And so it really takes, it's subtle discernment that we all, you know, and and letting God pinpoint those things for Mm, us rather than a, you know, structure or a formula to find, figure that out. But again, it's listening and paying attention to yourself. Yeah. And, and what's going I, I appreciate, on? I appreciate that you mentioned that discernment piece because I feel like that language opens more opportunity for discernment. Whereas, whereas true self and false self, I, I guess you could say true and false are opposites. So I guess you could say those are presented as opposites. Right. But in reality, you know, using language like adaptive self and authentic self and adapted self feels more true with my experience because oftentimes what's happening with my adapted self is a reflection of my authentic self. It's just a little bit exactly. distorted or mm-hmm. corrupted. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I like that, John. The way it's not even a question now. I'm just I'm no, telling you about well, your own ideas. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's the truth. It is. I mean, it's so much, it's so nuanced and, and that's where I started with we were created in God's image with an authentic essence. And then it becomes, as we know, through our ego and sin and every, you know, all of that, our self-protection strategies and having to survive in this world. And we have to adapt. And that it's part of our humanity rather than a bad thing. It's just doesn't keep work. It doesn't keep working well for us. Yeah. That adapted self starts to fall apart and not yeah. serve us. And then we have to pay attention to that. But like you said, it is part of who we are, actually, our way of, of way of being. Mm-hmm. And so, very- so how did you come to merge those ideas with the Enneagram? Well, that was the aha moment when I never, Don, I never expected to write a book. That was not on my bucket list, you know, mm-hmm. this, and people, I was starting to de- uh, practice uh, I've created a workshop on the Enneagram from a Jesus perspective um, for friends and beg them to come and listen to me or to learn. And um, then people say, Oh, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I said, Oh, I don't need to write a book. There's so many Enneagram books. Why would I write another book? I would just copy plagiarize. And then I was on my own spiritual journey of discovery, like you mentioned earlier and asked me about earlier of my life with God and 
And I read the scripture where Jesus said, if you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for myself, you'll, myself, my sake, you'll save it. And I went, there's a, or you'll find it. I went, there's a self to find. And I, in my evangelical background, it was so, and so much, um, emphasize on dying to self, dying to self, die to yourself, right. die to yourself. Right, right. But I didn't know there was a self to find. And that just woke one morning I woke up and I said, self to lose, self to find. I'm supposed to write mm. that book and include the Enneagram as a tool for that discovery. So I didn't see it as this is an Enneagram book. It was like, well, this is truth. And how can the Enneagram help us access that truth and live more fully and freely as the way God designed us and to find our truest self, you know, our authentic self. So yeah. kind of just came out of a holy aha moment of, oh, <laughs> that's the book I'm supposed to write. And it was really clear. So I yeah. did. Yeah. And did you did you have the second book in mind even as you were writing that one? Or did you determine no. after the first one, like, there's more to take this or, or I can. Well, I self-published in 2016, which was a lot of work and it cost a lot of money to do. And it was just a paperback book. Mm -hmm. And then um, in 2019, I was asking God, okay, now what's next? But I didn't, uh, writing a book is hard work and I didn't want to kind of do it on my own again. That felt really lonely and paying yeah. for it and all that. So I, but I, so anyway, the editor of Random House calls me out of the blue, and her sister had given her my book, my self-published version, and she said, "Would you ever think about republishing this under our brand banner? And would you write another book? I think mm. you have a lot to say." And I went, "Oh, yeah. do I want to write another book?" <laughs> So I just kind of scratched out a proposal and they accepted it and gave me a contract for both books. So it really came. And then I was going, Oh God, am I supposed to be doing this or am I just flattered that I was asked? And then God said, no, there's something I want you to say and you're not going to do it on your own. So here you go. Here's the open, open door to do it. So, yeah. So that led into your second book. So I've got to tell you that like you talk about the critical journey, which we, we won't take time to unpack all of these, mm-hmm. um, but you talk about the critical journey. You talk more about the Enneagram. You talk more about adapted self and authentic self. You talk about centered set and boundary set and all these ideas that I just, I love. So seeing all these come together in one place mm-hmm. <laughs> is mm-hmm. fantastic. But yeah, why don't, why don't you take a little bit of time to, you know, just also talk about your second book and, and how that came out of the first. Mm-hmm. Yes, I started noticing that the Enneagram was becoming a bounded set kind of idea that everybody all of a sudden was just all about the Enneagram and also typing, putting people in boxes, which is the opposite of what was originally designed. And I just felt there's more to the story. This, the Enneagram fits in a bigger story of God's desire, God's drawing us to himself and, and sensing that people still felt that like I have to work hard to find God Mm -hmm. instead of recognizing that when I, when I heard about the centered set model, it just rung true for me. Like, Oh yes, God is in the center and God is always drawing us whether we know it or not. And I have, I want to believe that I have to believe that I, I, and I think it's true (laughs) Um, from a God of love and our creator. And so I just wanted to, 
um, illustrate that or just encourage people in that way. And I also just had so much I wanted to say. And the yeah. two and, fr- you know, the whole third part of the book, actually, I would just love to have that be the whole book and not have it be an Enneagram book. But they wanted me to have it be an in it, include the Enneagram in it. I would right. have just written a spiritual formation book, but that was not what the publisher had in mind. So I had to weave in the Enneagram, but really, I didn't even want to have Enneagram in the <laughs> a lot title. Of happening here. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even want Enneagram in the title, mm-hmm. but it, you know, they, it, it was right. You know, they insisted. Yeah. And so, but I almost would like to republish it someday without any mm-hmm. of the Enneagram pieces and just have it be a spiritual formation book of what we can expect um, from God, you know, what we can expect to experience as we come closer and closer to a centered life with God. And so hopefully because the Enneagram is such a buzzword for better or for worse, maybe, maybe that will draw people to come read it and take, take more away from it and, than they were and, and of course that's what the the yeah. publisher has in mind and of course i did too when i was writing it um that it would take people beyond the enneagram and to a deeper life with god so yeah. that's what my real heart is for people to live into the freedom that god has for them and to know how much they're loved and that authentic hear those authentic yes. self truths rather than the adapted self lies that they yeah get stuck in so well well, you told me um i think before we were recording that you don't have any more books in the works and i'm now glad to hear you say that you didn't expect you had the first book in the works because <laughs> maybe that means there will be you know maybe uh, god will spring it on you that there is more to be written and more to be said because <laughs> yeah, I, I just really appreciate your I really appreciate your voice and your perspective. Oh, thank you, John. I'm thankful you did the lonely work of, mm, of writing these books. So. Thank you. Well, I, the only thing that's on my mind is to write out some things about my own life for my children. Because mm-hmm. I realize mm-hmm. my own children really don't know a lot about my internal yeah. world. Yeah. And to write out, you know, stories from my childhood. And my father passed away this year at the age of almost 102. Wow. And he was sharp and had a quick memory. And he, we sat and sat and talked and talked. I mean, until two days before he died, he, mm-hmm. and then he chose, he said, I'm done. And he was decided to die. So that's just the way my dad was. And, but I so have appreciated the chance I had to learn more about him that I didn't know because he lived so long and my mom died at 70. And so I didn't have that chance to really hear her. And so I would like to at least have my kids to have it in writing. Yeah. But that's a gift. It is. Yeah. I think my grandma did the same and my kids Uh, loved reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, you know, a legacy there and there's stories that my kids don't know about and things yeah. that they I'd like them to know more about me that we don't, yeah. you know, talk about so much. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think I think culturally um we just don't celebrate wisdom and experience mm-hmm. in life anymore. You know, there's such mm-hmm. a focus on and I I think maybe what you're talking about is the best way to respond to that, which is, well, take this and read this and Mm -hmm. learn from this, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's, there is legacy to pass along. Mm 
So let me let me wrap then, because maybe this maybe you just queued us up for this one with what you just said. But who do you hope to be in ten years? Uh, well, as you said, I'm a more seasoned person, so I'll be in my eighties <laughs> in ten years. And I I liked that question that you sent me. I thought, who do I want to be? I want to still be vibrant and healthy, which I need to work on now in order to get there in 10 years, because we have 11 precious grandchildren, and they range from 21 to 6. So I want to be present to their lives, because we've been able to be present to the lives of the older ones, but the younger ones, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be able to celebrate them. I want to be at their high school graduation. They want to be at their weddings. They want to be a great grandma. Um, And to enjoy that part of my life and, of course, uh, being married and hopefully both my husband and I will stay healthy and strong and vibrant and just continuing to listen to God and be led by the Holy Spirit in the ways that God wants to use me. Um, And that also takes intentionality on my part to pay attention and to continue to nurture my life with God and to be grateful for it and to and to continue to be wise i want to be wiser <laughs> yeah well and if you follow your dad's lead i mean you got 30 more years i do yeah and i'm <laughs> i'm just reading a book i just haven't read it yet but on aging faithfully by Aunt, uh, alice freiling yeah, yeah and the reason i picked it up as a friend we were on the phone she said that she talks about moving from productivity to fruitfulness Yes. And I thought, yeah. I really like that. You know, as my body gets more tired, I can't do as many things, but I still want to be fruitful. Yeah. Not necessarily productive. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the same way that I wanted to be before. So. Right. Yeah. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much. Thanks for making the time. To oh, John, thank you. What a yeah. delight to talk to you. If uh, someone wants to learn more, obviously we've talked about your books, but if they want to learn more about the work you're doing or reach out for spiritual direction, how can they find you? Um, my website is marylynvansel.com and yeah. that's the best way to connect. You're so lucky to have your own name. You I know. A unique enough name maybe that you could get it. Well, what else, what else was I going to call it? I don't know. Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. All right. That's well, thank you is. so much. Well, thank you, John. And God bless you. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.